This is CliffCentral.com. Good morning. Welcome to Disrupt uh, with me, Mpumin Tlapo, powered by T-Systems South Africa. Um, thank you for joining us on the show again today. Um, on this show, for those of you that are new to the show, we focus on disruption through in-depth conversations with industry leaders from across the spectrum. Um, and we talk about really how disruption is changing the industry and the role that technology plays in uh, driving that disruption. Uh, in the studio with me today, I've got Dr. Dipalo Mugete, orthopedic surgeon from Busamed. He's also a lecturer at the University of, uh, of, of, at Wits University. Um, he's a fellow of the University of Western Ontario and one of the foremost experts in South Africa on orthopedic surgery and orthopedic procedures using, using computers and robotics. Quite a CV there, doctor. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, and thank you very much for the invite and good morning to your listeners. Thank you. Um, we had quite an interesting conversation just before the show about um, what orthopedics is. I asked you about prosthetics and fake limbs, and you said no. Can you maybe just before we get into the conversation, briefly outline where this orthopedics fits in in terms of the medical field? Well, orthopedics is uh, <clears throat> so it starts with um, the name orthopedics, and it's really uh, it comes from uh, it's a Latin derivation, and it comes from uh, straightening bent. Bones. Okay. Yeah. So it's a field that uh, focuses on um, joints, bones, and muscles. So the musculoskeletal system. Um, and there are two aspects to it. So there is orthopedics in general, and then there's orthopedic surgery. So the surgery would be uh, the techniques, surgical techniques that we use to be able to uh, sort out the diseased bones, muscles, or joints, okay. um, and basically just get you back to health. Okay. So let's just paint a, a typical scenario. I, I injure my knee or my hip, or, or I've got some sort of arthritis in there, and then what happens? Okay. So with uh, with um, injuries, um, um, and specifically with arthritis, because that is my field. So my field is uh, joint replacement. So uh, and specifically hip and knee replacements. Okay. And generally with uh, arthritis, remember, like everything else, it goes through phases. So there's an early phase, um, and then there's a late phase. So during the early phases for arthritis of the hip or arthritis of the knee, uh, the treatment is what we would term in medical uh, terms conservative treatment. So that would be um, things like painkillers, anti-inflammatories, and sometimes with the knee joint specifically, you can inject steroids. And then there's an element also of um, activity modification as well. So uh, you may need to you may need to modify your activity. So if you were a runner and you now have arthritis, so maybe things that you should take up would be swimming, things that are maybe a little bit less taxing on the joints. I see. And then over and above that, there are other things that can be done to adapt uh, your circumstances. Uh, for example, a walking aid, uh, crutches, this will definitely help. Um, and as you get more and more disabled, then we can also look at, Adapting your home circumstances. Um, so for example, things like, for example, taking away stairs, okay. putting in a ramp, uh, putting in uh, things that can help you get into and out of a bath, uh, easier. So it's, uh, it's all of those. So essentially what we do with, uh, 
arthritis early on is we start with the conservative measures and it's only when the conservative measures fail or are starting to fail that we then start to consider being a little bit more aggressive and the aggressive part would be operations. Okay. And this is where now replacing the damaged or diseased um, um, organs or parts of, of those joints. Yeah, so 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 specifically for hip and knee replacements, it would be replacing the diseased joint uh, with uh, prosthesis. So by prosthesis, these are metal parts, and the metal parts, the articulation, is um, either ceramics that we couple with. Uh, uh, special plastics, or you can have ceramics on ceramic or, or even metals that we then couple with the special plastics as well. Okay. And so in terms of now your expertise in the field, you are one of only two doctors, I believe, in South Africa that are certified to use a robotic arm to perform these procedures. Yeah, so this is... Uh, <clears throat> so maybe we need to go back a little bit there. Okay. So this is... Definitely new technology when it comes to joint replacements, okay. uh, the field of robotics. And we, uh, so me and uh, a colleague, Dr. Hussein, we were fortunate in that we uh, got training in a specific uh, robot, which is the Mako robot. Okay, it's called the Mako robot. It's called the Mako robot. Okay. So it is um, a robot that is... Um, sold by a company called Striker okay. uh, Corporation. And it is the most established of the robotic systems in joint replacements, without a doubt. And um, it is also the most sophisticated uh, robotic system when it comes to hip and knee replacements. But uh, we went for training uh, just under a year ago now okay. uh, in the U.S. Uh, we were there for a week um, uh, and then we came back and we started doing uh, robotic uh, joint replacements at uh, Busamed um, uh, towards the end of last year. So we, 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 we're six months in. Uh, and how many have you done in the last six months? In the last six months, uh, I don't have the exact statistics with me, to be honest with you, but I think we're now approaching approaching 20. 20 already? Yeah, 20 okay. of these, yeah. Okay, and so maybe just um, because it might not be clear what we mean by this robotic arm, can you explain how it works? Okay, so... Uh, the robotic arm is, um, so it's a haptic arm. So it's an arm that is controlled by the surgeon. Okay. But I think, let me, again, let me take you back. Okay. So sure. when it comes to uh, robotics and joint replacements, it's the, bit, the, the buzzword here, or the big issue here is what we want is we want precision. Okay. So it is accuracy. But not just accuracy, but accuracy consistently. Consistently. Consistently, yeah. So for us to be able to do that, we it starts with the planning. With uh, this specific robot, the maker robot, it starts with uh, once we have made the diagnosis that you've got arthritis, and once we have accepted that you have failed conservative treatment, okay, and you have become a candidate for joint replacement surgery. Yes. Then the next step would be to get a CT scan or a CAT scan of the leg, whether it is the knee or the hip. Okay. And that what that does is it basically gives us a 3D image of 
the pathology. So it gives us a 3D image of the diseased hip. Okay. So then once we have that, we basically look at that and we map the area that is diseased. And then we're able to superimpose the correct part into that joint. So your specific joint, we're able to do measurements that will allow us to put in the correct part. Okay. But not just the correct part, but the correct part put in correctly. So there's a lot that goes into joint replacement. So one of the things is, for example, if I were to do your knee replacement, right? And what you want is you want legs that are straight, right? Yes. But then I do your operation and you come out with a knee that is a little bit wonky and it's not quite straight because now you're bow-legged or now the legs are not quite as straight as you wanted them to be. And, you know, you basically want a straight leg. I want you to have a straight leg because it also goes beyond just the operation. If I get you a straight leg, then that operation is likely to last the longest time. Okay. Right. Yes. But if I get it wrong at that point, then it will not last as long as it should. Yes. So as part of the planning, we will then plan the right part, the right orientation in terms of placement of that part Okay. in your bone. And this is long before we even touch you as a patient. Okay. Then the next step is you would then come in for surgery. The planning has been done. We know exactly what we want we to do. We know exactly what we want to do, how we want to place the parts, what parts we want to place in. And once you come in for surgery, then we go through a process where we will then tell the machine. So this is a process that is called mapping. So essentially what happens is that we paint on your bones and what we paint on the bones with a special instrument, that information is fed back to the computer. And then the computer will then look at that information, look at the scan that it's got, be able to tell exactly where I was touching, what I was touching. And it basically is able to then construct a roadmap for me as to how we're going to do the operation where we're going to cut. And then the next part will be once that part is done, once the roadmap part is done. So think of it uh, like um, navigation. Okay. So where you want to go from uh, home to come to Cliff Central. Yes. And you want to take a certain route to come to Cliff Central. Okay. You will tell the machine exactly where you want to go. So it's got coordinates where you are, coordinates where you want to go. Yes. So it's exactly the same thing. So at that point, we've done the planning. We're telling it the coordinates. It knows exactly where it should go and, more importantly, where it shouldn't go. I see. Okay. Then once that part is done, then we know, we know that once we kick the machine into action, And I think the important part here is to understand that it's not an autonomous robot. So you still operate the arm? I still operate the arm. So I bring the arm 
into the surgical field. So the operation is, remember, for me to be able to do the operation, I do the operation on bone, the joint itself. Yes. So I still have to, in the normal manner, open up to be able to access the bone. Yes. The only difference, though, is that I can now open up. I don't have to make a huge cut. I can now make a cut that is as long as is necessary because I don't necessarily have to see the entire joint because I've got the coordinates. Ah, okay. Once I've made a cut and accessed the joint, then I bring in the arm into play. And then once it is within a certain distance from the bone, it knows this because I've already told it where the bone is. It already knows what the bone looks like. And then it is for us at that point to then pull on the trigger. And then as I pull on the trigger, I will then move it into position and I will move it around being guided by the robot and the computer at that point. If I stray out of the area that I've mapped, it will stop. So it will not allow me to stray. And so you mentioned, which is an interesting part then, because you mentioned that what it does is that it enables you then to be consistent, to provide the same level of quality consistently. Absolutely, absolutely. Because remember, we've mapped the area that yes. we're going to cut, the yes. bone that we're going to cut. And it will only cut that bone. It will not stray. It will not go beyond that bone, which also makes it safer because remember, we are cutting bone, but there are ligaments, there are blood vessels as well at the back. Absolutely. And, and, and you don't want to stray. You don't want to go there. So it makes it, in a sense, it makes it very safe to do the operation, but also very, very accurate. Absolutely. And this is what we, this is where it becomes a game changer. And, um, this is what we, we've been lacking all along. So a skilled surgeon, a skilled orthopedic surgeon who does joint replacements consistently, so a joint replacement surgeon, will get it right a lot of the time, but not all of the time. So it takes away that human element where we are given to, um, to being error prone and just because we are human. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, like the example that I uh, put to you earlier on that if I, you know, if my cat dog died this morning, I can't be the same guy that I was yesterday when I was celebrating my uh, 47th birthday. Absolutely. I absolutely can't. That that emotion, it affects me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be a human. And if I'm doing five joint replacements that day, that aspect will come back in. And I may do a very good job on four of them. And maybe one, I may do a good job. But the point is what you want is you don't want to be that guy who ends up with a good job. You want to be that person who has a very good job. But this then takes that human element out of it and, and let, allows you to be able to do a good job in just about every patient. Every yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So let me ask the question like this then. Um, we, we've seen uh, discussions and I've had guests here talking about autonomous vehicles and, and autonomous driving vehicles. And I know... Um, there has been, um, you know, um, movement in the medical space to get to autonomous robots performing procedures. Um, one we talked about earlier was the robot doc. Yes. Um, 
So what has the success been with, with moving? Because at the moment, I mean, the, yours is an augmented state. So you are still there physically operating the robot, but it guides you and it, it keeps you on course. Absolutely. But there's um, an alternative uh, technology space where you tell the robot what it needs to do and it performs the procedure itself. Yeah, so so again with the... With uh, that technology, so we we've been there in orthopedics. Yes. So ten years ago, we already had that technology. Ten years ago. Ten years ago, we already had that technology. Autonomous, Autonom- able to do the operation, the procedures itself. Yes, yes, yes. But I think it was a step too far, and that part still needs to be finessed. Um, there was a lot of discomfort. So the problem with that is um, there were robots that were doing that. But when they got it wrong, they got it spectacularly wrong. And again, you know, you're dealing with human life here and you don't want that to be the case. So this is what is nice about uh, the robotic arm is that the control it doesn't take away the control from the person who's doing the operation. So you as a surgeon are still in control. Okay. As opposed to those autonomous systems where you punched in uh, the information into the computer and then had it uh, working. And uh, particularly with a hip, it was very impressive to see. Impressive uh, to see it do its job. Uh, okay. But there were mistakes that were made. And uh, I think it's technology that we will probably revisit in time. Okay. But for now, this is the most sophisticated robot that, again, looking at, the robots that are on the market, it is the most, uh, the Mako uh, robot, which is uh, uh, the one that we use, is, is the most sophisticated of the ones that are available at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, if we're talking about autonomous, th- then there's probably a middle ground there. I'm thinking um, remote um, operations. So where, you know, there's a human being physically operating uh, the machine or the robot, but they're not necessarily in the same space. Um, what's what's advanced like that in that space? Yeah, so again, I think it's a, a big issue at the moment is that the technology is still very expensive. Okay. But it, without a doubt, it's enabling technology. And we have to, we've got to accept that and use it to enable us to be able to do uh, operations, uh, not just in advanced countries, but also be able to have the same technology in developing countries as well. Yes. Because technology can, again, technology can be a game changer. This is without a doubt. And with this robot, we can get to a point where we have, we have a specialized type of uh, doctor or technician, medical okay. technician. Yes. Who drives the robot but doesn't necessarily do the planning for the operation so the planning for the operation still becomes the province or the preserve of the orthopedic surgeon okay because ultimately he still takes the ultimate responsibility yes but he can help with the planning but once the planning is done then you can have a robotic technician to drive the robot to be able to be able to do the operation, but under the supervision of the orthopedic surgeon. And what that would ultimately help us do is it would help us to be able to roll out the technology even into those 
areas that are underserved, those areas where we do not have currently orthopedic surgeons or orthopedic surgeons are not willing to move to such areas. Mm. Instead of bringing the patients to the bigger centers, we can take the machines and the technicians to those centers so that even those patients can have these operations. They can have the benefit of these operations. So because the big issue with these operations, whether you do them in a conventional sense or you do them with enabling technology, Mm -hmm. it still starts with the planning. If you get the planning wrong, you're unlikely to get a good outcome. Okay. So if the planning is spot on, then the execution is not that difficult, certainly not with robotics. So it can help us to also extend the benefits of joint replacements to areas that are underserved and also areas within Africa itself that have not had this opportunity. Absolutely. To have joint replacements, yeah. So, and then is there, is there still then a significant role for, for surgeons? I mean, once um, you're able to do these plans, isn't the next step that the plans are going to become easier to do as well? The, the plans will become easier too. But remember, remember at the end of the day, at the end of the day, even for surgeons, what you want for the surgeons is you want to make things easier for the surgeons. That's what you want. Yes. You want to make the operation easier for the surgeon. But at the same time, at the same time, it's not just about making it easier. It's about making it easier, but at the same time, being able to guarantee good outcomes. Okay. So if you can match those two together, this would be beautiful because then suddenly you've got surgeons that are using enabling technology to make things easier and simpler. For themselves, but at the same time, we're able now to guarantee very good outcomes in most of our patients, if not all our patients. The ultimate would be to be able to do that in all, all of our patients. So I don't think you will take away that role of a surgeon okay. away completely. But like everything else, why should there be a mystery when it comes to what we do? Yeah. Ultimately, Elaborate on that. Well, ultimately, what? So, if you come to me with an arthritic hip or an arthritic knee, yes, what do you want? You want me to sort out your pain and your disability. Yes, you want me to improve your quality of life. You basically want to get back to where you were when you were healthy. Yes. Yeah. Throughout time, for example, with hip replacements. So the procedure of hip replacement, so they basically finessed it uh, towards the end of the 70s. Okay. And we've continuously improved the techniques, the materials that we put in, the parts that we put in, uh, because ultimately what we want is we want that hip, once it is done, we want you to forget that you even had a hip replacement or a knee replacement. Like nothing ever happened. Like nothing ever happened. Like it's the sort of thing that maybe first year anniversary you will remember, second year anniversary you will remember. Yeah. By the tenth year you've forgotten completely. Because you're not taking painkillers, you're not using a walking aid, you back to normal. The same way that now you don't 
sit there thinking, I've got a left hip, a right hip, a left knee, a right. You don't, you know, <laughs> yeah. because these are things that are there that are part of you and that you expect to function. Yes. Right. You get up from there, you walk to the bathroom, you're not thinking, hmm, left hip, right hip, a little bit of pain, you know, this is what we want to get to. Okay. And we're not quite there yet. And we hope that as we continue to improve, and as we continue to uh, use enabling technology to help us get better outcomes, that we will hopefully get to that point where we can guarantee that once the operation is done. Yeah. So, again, it is that where you use the technology to make things easier. But at the same time, we don't want the hip replacements or the knee replacements that are done in a certain way or that are done uh, with robotics to be the preserve of people that have the means. We want to be able to extend it to all people who have arthritis of the hip and arthritis of the knee that has failed conservative treatment. This is the ultimate. You want to help as a doctor. You want to help everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You get satisfaction from helping people and people being helped and actually enjoying a better quality of life. This is what gives us satisfaction. Mm. It, so you, you also mentioned, sorry, just to, to touch on helping people, that there are potential other use cases for the arms. So in, in um, uh, urology, you mentioned, yeah, so, in, in spinal treatments. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Right. So I think that probably now, as we speak, they're probably the most well-known of these uh, robotic systems. Um, and in a sense, uh, one of the pioneers is uh, the Da Vinci robot. Okay. But having said that, mind you, robotics started in orthopedics, even before urology. So the Da Vinci is used mostly in uh, urology. Okay. Uh, but also now I understand that it's being used uh, in uh, general surgery and gynecology. And how does and that quite successful? Work? So that works uh, slightly differently in that uh, there are arms. Um, that are controlled remotely. So as the surgeon, you sit in a booth. Okay. And outside of, outside of the outside theater. of the surgical field, and you then control the arms, and the arms do the work. But then again, it's not autonomous in the sense that you, as the surgeon, are still controlling the arms to be able to do the work. So you're looking at a screen, um, and you are controlling the arms remotely to do the work within the abdomen. Okay. Yeah. And and why would one be preferable or not to the other? So cuz you know you're the the Marco arm you're physically in the theater. Yes. Operating the arm and this yes. one you're in a booth remotely yes. I'm yes. operating the two arms to do the procedure. Yeah. So so I think at the moment because of the technology that we have. So with joint replacements we actually have to put in parts into the joint. So we have to resurface that joint. I see. And the parts that we put in, you've got to make space for those parts anyway. Yes. So you've actually got to open the skin so that you have access to the bone so that once you've done your work, you're able to put in those parts. Okay. So you do have to make cuts that are long enough to be able to do that. And for me to do the bone preparation... Theoretically, it's possible. You can do it through very, very small cuts, do the entire work, but you would still have to open to be able to put in the resurfacing parts. Yes. So it, 
probably makes more sense in orthopedics for now to do it this way as opposed to doing it remotely. I see. Like uh, with a Da Vinci robot. Okay. Yeah. And with all these robots, I mean, where do you see the medical field going? Do you, do you see that technology is really having a massive impact um, vis-a-vis like uh, clinical type of advancements within the space? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. So in the field of orthopedics, this is at the moment, it's, it's big. It's big. And when it comes to, it's the sort of disruptive technology that uh, if you look at the major orthopedic companies, so the companies that make the parts for us. Yes. So you will find that um, all the majors, they have in one way or another adopted this sort of technology. So uh, the make would be at the forefront without a doubt. Um, and um, there are other companies as well that have started doing the same, maybe not as sophisticated, um, but I also hear that the companies that are now also working with Google. Okay. Yes, on uh, exactly this. And and going back to one of the previous questions, uh, we're also looking at it not just uh, in orthopedics, it is there, it is working, uh, but we're now also looking at, um, so the companies are now also looking at uh, the same technology being used in uh, neurosurgery, and uh, it has started uh, in um, spine surgery, uh, most certainly. So in other fields of orthopedics as well. And and ultimately, so the the technology at the moment is admittedly still very expensive. Okay. Yeah. But hopefully, in time, as people get to accept it more, as we see the outcomes. Um, so it's still a little bit early. Only time will tell in terms of um, where, how cost-effective the technology is. Yes. But I feel that in one form or the other, it is an advancement that we'll continue building upon. And as much as we are now very comfortable with the fact that your car, the car that you drive in, yes, most of it was put together by robots. But we're very comfortable with that situation. Yeah. So, other you wouldn't be comfortable if I said to you, you know, we got some guys in uh, Utenag and uh, they jackhammer screws and and stuff and uh, they put this car together and this is your new car. You're more comfortable with the fact that yeah, you know what, it was made by robots. But it also means that it's the consistency. Yes. It's much higher. Yes. Uh, margins of getting things wrong, much lower. Yes. So you are more likely to get a consistently good product, and we accept that. And the same will happen in the medical field. It's happening. Sure. Now, let me then look at it. If I look at students coming through the system, you're a lecturer at, uh, at Vist University. Mm-hmm. Um, is technology becoming a big part of the curriculum or is it still really the traditional methods that are taught? So I think before we go to technology, you still have to teach your students on traditional methods. Okay. And the importance of that is that if the technology fails, you still have to have a fail-safe mechanism yes. to continue yes. doing what you're doing. Okay. And not only that, but the principles, a lot of the time the principles, you learn the principles better by going through 
the old ways of doing things. Learn those and then on top of that, then you incorporate the enabling technology. Then my feeling is that when you do that, then you will have a better quality of surgeon than if you get a surgeon to specifically do the robotic surgery without knowing how to do the conventional surgery. I hear you. So you still have to go through the whole gambit before we can then say that you are qualified as a surgeon to be able to do the procedures. Yeah. But let's let's assume then, like you've said, that they are getting the fundamentals in terms of the traditional methods. But would you say that there is enough focus on technology and how it can enable medicine that is being instilled in in, in medical practitioners coming through the system? You know, if I look at your case, for example, you're one, you're one of only two. In, in the country. And, and I don't know whether that's the same for other technology driven, um, you know, um, procedures in medicine or not. But I guess I'm trying to understand whether technology is really being adopted specifically in South Africa to augment or support what we're doing within the medical space. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think it's, uh, the market will demand it. Okay. The market will demand it. So the, the people will demand it ultimately. And, here in South Africa, we still have uh, well-developed uh, medicine in a sense that if you fall ill, you don't fly to London to go and have your uh, medical condition looked into. Yes. You will find the right person to do it locally. And in as much as it is frustrating in a sense in that it's maybe not happening as quickly as one would want, but um, I think we are moving in that direction. Uh, in terms of uh, the train, remember there are barriers, and the barriers are economic barriers at the end of the day. So yep. it's also there's also relevance which comes into it. So uh, you also have to be able to justify why you would want to have such sophisticated technology when um, a great majority of people don't have access to uh, joint replacements, for example. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, like I said, it's, the market will demand it. People will start asking for it. Um, and, 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 and I think also the other issue is like any other technology. So with this technology, with the maker robot, so the maker robot was uh, the first, um, orthopedic robot in South Africa. In fact, the first in Africa. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and at the time um, when um, Busamed uh, acquired the robot, um, there were about 400 in the U.S., uh, about 10 in Australia, one in the United Kingdom. So it's it's pretty um, cutting-edge technology, yes. uh, to be honest. Uh, yes. But the same way that um, – so going back a little bit when it comes to robotics so let's look at the da vinci robot for example mm-hmm. so the one that they use for mostly urological procedures the one that's operated remotely the one that's operated remotely yes. so there's uh, in the country now there's um it's probably probably about 10 uh, probably more okay but when it's a, exactly the same story when he came into the country there was only one there were only a few people that could operate it but what happened over time is there was a demand for it okay. and people saw a benefit in it. And 
people started demanding it, and that is why now you've got more than 10 in the entire country. Okay. Yeah, because A, it starts with, you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. And like any other technology, so let's look at cars, for example. So if you look at um, Johannesburg in the late 1800s, yes, there were no cars. In um, um, probably the early 1900s, there was one car. Yeah. But now, you can't do without a car. It's it's uh, for me. I think it's exactly the same. You've got to start somewhere. Absolutely. And the first car that came to this country was. It was very expensive. It was also one of those things that are difficult to justify at that time, yes. based on what was obtaining at that time. Yes. But like every other technology, cell phones um, come into mind. It's exactly the same with cell phones. So we could not communicate because we did not have enough telephone lines in the country. But what cell phone technology did in terms of our communication and advancement of people, it's again one of those disruptive technologies that have just been it's been spectacular. Absolutely. And you, you can't even think back to the days when you didn't have a cell phone or access to a cell phone. And I feel that it's, it's exactly the same. you got to start somewhere. It may sound like disruptive technology now, but in time, it will just be enabling technology. And it cannot be the preserve of developed nations when it actually, you can make a good case for it, even in developing countries. Once we get that price barrier out of the equation, then it absolutely makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Because, like I said, ultimately what you want is you want to help every person who has a hip or a knee complaint, arthritis that has failed conservative treatment. We want to make their life better. Mm. And then perhaps then maybe there's scope for us to start innovating and developing some of these technologies locally here in the country. No, for sure, for sure. But remember, you can't do it in a vacuum. Absolutely. It always starts with you get this. You work with it. You then are able to identify unique cases or or, or, or unique um, where you find that maybe in certain respects there are differences in our populations compared to other populations. Okay. And this is what will then allow you to be able to innovate. I see. And develop something even locally that can rival what we have. So basically, this is the early, the seed stages at the moment. Uh, early stages. Uh, yes, I think so. I think it is. But uh, again, you've got to. Uh, it's one of those technologies that you uh, look. It's for me personally something that um, I like very much, um, and I enjoy uh, using it to mm. do operations. Um, and it, it, there will be other people who will come into the fold. And as we talk, as we discuss, as we problems crop up and issues crop up, then we will be able to come up with something that is bespoke for us, for our country as well. It doesn't have to be as expensive. And maybe once we are able to 
interact with the technology, learn how the technology works, and maybe we can also come up with something that is uh, that makes more sense when it comes to the economics. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. So, Doc, let me talk now a little bit about you, mm. um, orthopedics. Mm. Did you always know that you wanted to go into this field? Uh, well, my father is a doctor, um, so uh, my elder brother uh, also went into medicine. So okay. um, I sort of went into it because that was a thing to do. Yes. Right. But when I was in medical school, when I was in my third year, that is when I decided that, yes, this is the thing for me. In Why? fact, it was my fourth year. And I'll tell you, it's very simple. Uh-huh. So at that time, I'd been exposed. So it was my fourth year. I'd been exposed to other disciplines in medicine. And for me, the one that had the most immediacy and the one that made the most sense to me was orthopedics. And it is because with orthopedics, the problem presents itself much quicker. Okay. So if you have a problem with your knee, I will examine you. I will do x-rays. And pretty much thereafter, I am most times I'm able to work out what the problem is. Not only that, but once I've identified what the problem is, I can also say whether I can help you or not. Fairly quickly. Fairly quickly. And whether if I can't help you, I can always send you to somebody else who can help you. And then once that part is done, whether it's an operation or painkillers or whatever, again, the results are pretty quick. Because if I, if you've got a sprain, we strap you, we give you painkillers, two, three weeks, you should be getting better. Mm. The frustrating thing with the other specialities was that you, a lot of the time you're shooting in the duck and uh, you, when it comes to a problem, you come with a tummy ache. There's maybe 10, 20, 30 things that it could be. Hmm. And then I've got to work my way through them. And then even then it could be the most obscure of those 30 things. And less so in orthopedics. So I this see. is why, to me, it made a lot of sense. Uh, the diagnosis, the immediacy of the diagnosis, uh, also the immediacy of me being able to make a call whether I can help or can't help, and also the results having made that call. Again, you do x-rays. If it's a broken bone, you set it. Or if you need to operate, you operate on it. And I can show you x-rays immediately after the operation. There. And pretty much based on that x-rays, there is, we can predict more or less how well you're going to do. I see. Yeah. I see. And then you also spend time in Canada. Uh, you, you, were, you did a fellowship there. Yeah. So what, what I did is um, I went to medical school in Cape Town uh, and then uh, finished in 94 and then spent uh, time in England doing surgery. Uh, and then I came back to South Africa uh, and did uh, uh, in 2000. And then started uh, orthopedics here. Okay. So did my rotation, um, and I took a liking to joint replacements. And once I had done joint replacements, I spent additional time here uh, doing joint replacements uh, purely, and then I went to Canada 
um, to do a fellowship. So essentially finishing school in joint replacements in London, Ontario. I see. Uh, okay. And then becoming someone who wanted to focus on the technology side of things, how did that come about? Was it by chance or had you always wanted to be kind of bleeding edge in terms of what's happening in the discipline? I think it's uh, it's just getting a... Technology helps you get a clear understanding of what is going on. And it also, it's enabling technology. So again, based on my ethos, it also helps you uh, to be able to help people. And my feeling is the consistency thing has to come into it. And you've got to be satisfied most of the time okay. once you have done an operation or helped a patient uh, and be comfortable most of the time that the outcomes will be good. And this is what technology does. And with uh, technology regarding joint replacement, so we – look, it's it also makes it exciting, I must say. Uh, it, yes. it really does make yeah. it exciting because it's uh, – uh, if you are able to keep up with the technology, then uh, it also allows you, I think, in time to be able to innovate. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And where, and where do you see this innovation going? What do you see on the horizon? On the horizon, what I see, look, <laughs> me personally, ideally, I see a time when, uh, so it's about, again, it goes back to what I've just said to you. It is about helping as many people as is possible that have these hip and knee, arthritis of the hip and knee, okay. to improve their quality of life. So I see a time when we will have, uh, but this is in the future though, where we will have an orthopedic surgeon doing the planning for patients who need joint replacements the same orthopedic surgeon supervising surgeries on these patients such that at the moment, in a day, I can do a maximum of five hip and knee replacements. But I see a time when I can do 10 hip replacements in a space of three hours. But where... I am not necessarily physically doing the work, but supervising, having done the plan myself. And that, become, and that becomes very disruptive. It becomes very disruptive, but what it does, it means that what I could do in three hours, if I could do one in three hours, now I can do ten in three hours. So that is nine more people that benefit from that technology. Nine more people that are helped in that space of time. And you see that on the near horizon? I, I, well, not the, not the near horizon, but certainly I think in the next 15 years, this is what we'll be seeing. Okay. Yeah, because it's it shouldn't be a luxury. It shouldn't be a luxury. It should be something that is extended to everybody. So we, we can't get a situation where if you have a headache, Right? Yes. Uh, some people will benefit from a panado. Yes. But some people cannot get access to a panado 
and just have to suffer the consequences of headache. Everybody should have access to a panado. And it's the same when it comes to joint replacements. It should stop being a luxury, but rather a basic of part of our healthcare. Yes. 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 Because let me tell you, there's so there's uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, health economics, it's actually been worked out for hip replacements specifically. That hip replacements, they it is the most um, when it comes to economics, right? It has been worked out that it is the most cost-effective operation to do. Interesting. Yes. And that has to... Now think about it. Think about it. So if you're a young man who's got arthritis of the hip. Yes. So you are employed. You pay taxes. Yes. You have a family. You supporting your family. But now as the arthritis progresses, you're in pain. You've got to be buying painkillers. But now you can't even do your job. Because of the pain, yeah. Because of the pain. So now you're disabled. But now you also need people to look after you. But now you can't support your family. Now you're on a disability grant. Now you go to state facilities for your medical care. So we have taken you from a person who was contributing to the economy of the country to somebody who's now dependent on social grants. I see. We do your hip replacement. We can take you back exactly to the point where you were at. Employed, paying taxes. And contributing. And contributing. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on that basis, that is how they calculated it to be the most cost-effective surgical procedure. Better than better than doing a heart transplant. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And Doc, uh, you operate within the Busamed group. Um, you do a lot of the orthopedic work um, for that group of hospitals. Yeah, so No, 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 not for the group. So I work at uh, specifically uh, Busamed Morofontaine Orthopedic and Oncology Hospital. Okay. So that's where I'm based and that's okay. where I do the joint replacements. And that is where... Is that where the arm... The, the robotic the arm. robotic arm. Yes, it okay. is based. So it's, it doesn't travel. Okay. It is based purely at that hospital. Okay. Yeah. And, and the facilities there, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it must be state of the art, futuristic type of facilities to, to house this type of technology. Yeah. Look, uh, I think we've, we've been, um, we, the, the, the hospital, I think it's, it's the vision of, uh, Dr. Mji, who, the chairman of, uh, Busamed. Okay. Uh, he always wanted to have a state of the art hospital. Okay. Um, and I think the the the, the Busamed uh, Morofontaine Orthopedic and Oncology Hospital is, is the flagship when it comes to uh, the technology that is within the hospital. So it is, it's a uh, it's a paperless hospital. Um, so the Mako is but one of the technologies that are within the hospital. There are others as well, and I understand also the oncology part of it. They have state of the art machines when it comes to oncology. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's it's. Um, I must say it's it's a it's a comfortable place to work from. Yeah, because I would imagine it's not just about 
you know, having the million dollar robotic arm. It's yes. all the support systems, the infrastructure yes. that you need yes. to get the best out of it. Yes, no, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, Doc, just before we wrap up then, um, I mean, I think I've got a pretty good view of your view, your vision for Africa in the context of making these types of procedures readily available to to everybody. Mm. Um, um, but then what I want to now ask you about is disruption. I mean, we've kind of mentioned it today and we've spoken briefly about it. Um, can you explain to me or describe to me what disruption would mean in your world? You know, if you were to offer a definition of disruption, what would that be? In, in my world, it's that technology that comes out of the left field and revolutionizes what we do. And beyond just revolutionizing what we do, it is that technology that comes out of the left field but makes things simpler, easier for us, but also allows us to be able to guarantee the best outcomes for our patients. And disruptive technology, for me, it's also it's not that flash in the pan. Okay. It it, is, what do you mean by that? In the sense that there is something that comes in that is completely different, that sort of takes over and okay. then dies over time. Yes. Because um, we just took to it because it was a fad, it was a thing to do. Yes. For me, it is that thing that changes and stays on and becomes normal in time. Fascinating. Thank yeah. you so much, Doctor. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you, Dr. Mugete, orthopedic surgeon from Modafontein Busamed Hospital. Uh, talk to, talking to us today about robotic arms and technology within the orthopedic surgery environment, but more broadly about how technology and specifically robotics are changing the way doctors um, are able to offer more consistent and quality uh, procedures within the environments. Thank you to T-Systems, our sponsors, for making the show possible once again. Uh, to follow T-Systems, you can go to www.un-outsource.co.za. Um, for joining us today, thank you to everybody who's joined us and been listening. We look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Disrupt with Mpumi Tlapo. Have a wonderful day. This is cliffcentral.com.